Today, as we come together and celebrate God's goodness and grace, and we celebrate the salvation that He has brought to us, it is also an opportunity for us to lift up those who serve. And I would like to just take a moment, and I know we've already had a time of prayer, but I've already spoken with one individual this morning who shared about uh, a unit that is leaving today specifically to go to Afghanistan, and they have asked that we as a church would pray for them. Uh, So I'd like to take a moment just to pray specifically for those who are going and serving. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful for the freedoms that we have. We're grateful to be able to meet in a place like this and to not have to worry about getting in trouble for saying the wrong things in the pulpit. Well, we come before you today grateful for those who have sacrificed and those who will continue to sacrifice so that those freedoms may be available to us. Well, we thank you for the soldiers who have voluntarily gone and served overseas and those who have even served here in this country to help protect the people of this country. Lord, I pray right now that you'd be with this unit that is getting ready to leave. I pray that your Holy Spirit would go before them, that you would put a hedge of protection around them, and then as they go, Lord, that perhaps through this time away, they might be drawn closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way, be with the family that is left behind here. I pray that you would strengthen each one of the wives, the children, the parents, the siblings, as they pray for their sons and daughters, their brothers and sisters, their moms and dads. Lord, I pray that you would be with them. Give them the same peace that we just sang about, Lord. I pray that they would find their peace and their comfort and their strength in you. Bring these individuals back safely and allow them to be able to celebrate once again with their families the freedoms that they themselves are fighting for. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let me share a passage of Scripture with you first. Actually, Richard already read it to you one time, but I just want to read it again. I'm going to give you a heads up that this will not be the entirety of the message today. So often uh, we get one passage of Scripture and then we just kind of stick with it, but I do want to share several things from other places within the Scriptures this morning. Uh, But the passage Richard read earlier comes from Philippians chapter 4. And I just want to read about six verses, verses 14 through 20. This is what it says. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, normally when you hear this passage, you're preparing yourself for a message on giving and generosity. Truthfully, I used a portion of this last week, and I focused very heavily on that. And obviously, I am very grateful for those who give generously. And I want to say thanks, much as Paul does. However, what I would rather do this morning is specifically look at the way he begins this passage. As Paul begins this passage, 
he starts with a little bit of nostalgia. He's looking back with thanksgiving at the early days of the Philippian church. He remembers those days very fondly, not only because the people were generous to Paul as he went and served as a missionary in various places, but also because there were so many great things that were happening in those early days. He talks about them being people who both gave and received. So this is more than just giving. We understand the idea of giving. He was grateful for the fact that they gave, but what did they receive? They received very clearly and very openly the message of Christ. They embraced the good news that Paul was offering to them. We've talked about them repeatedly. By the way, this is the last sermon in this series on Philippians, uh, but we've talked about it repeatedly. You had individuals like Lydia, who was a very wealthy lady who opened up her home to Paul, but she received the gospel of Christ. You had a young girl who had the ability to foretell the future. She actually had a demon who had possessed her. And in Paul's encounter with her, he sets her free. And this young lady becomes a part of the body of Christ there in Philippi. You had a Philippian jailer, a man who was probably rough around the edges, perhaps some type of retired Roman soldier who was serving now as a prison guard. And basically, this guy's about to kill himself. Paul rescues him, and then Paul introduces him to true life, which was in Jesus Christ. These were the people that Paul is writing to. They not only gave generously, but they also received the word of truth. They embraced the message of Christ and the message of hope that he alone could bring to them. You know, looking back can be an incredibly valuable experience for the body of Christ. Of course, you can't always look back because if you do, you'll never be able to move forward. But a little bit of nostalgia can actually be a really good thing. Obviously, today is a good time for me to be able to look back. In case you didn't know, later in the service, my youngest son will be baptized. And to me, this is one of the most exciting things that a pastor gets to do. Uh, I love, I look back over the many years of ministry, there are so many great things that I have been blessed to be able to experience. I have seen many individuals respond to God's grace and receive His salvation. I have seen individuals who have accepted a call into full-time Christian ministry. I've seen drunks and drug addicts set free to live a victorious, free life. I've seen marriages that have fallen apart, only to be restored far better than they ever were before. I've participated in many weddings, many funerals. I've been able to lay hands on individuals and see them healed I've been able to serve on various mission trips around the world, and I've worked with some of the most amazing people in the world. But the greatest thing that I've ever been able to do is to see my children grow in Christ. I love the fact that all three of my children have made a decision to follow Christ. It doesn't mean that they will always make the best decisions. They are still young, and guess what? Even if they were not young... They still might not always make the best decisions, but they are pursuing Christ. I have previously had the privilege of baptizing my two older children, and today I look forward to baptizing Michael. Can you think of something more enjoyable for me today? 
Of course, as I reflect on my child's decision to follow Christ, it also takes me back to my childhood. Again, a, a little nostalgia can be a great thing. It certainly helps me to appreciate the things that we have today. When I was a kid, video games as we know them had basically just been invented. The only video games that we had were uh, a system, game system called the Atari 2600. Uh, you had about three games. That was all you had because that was all that they made at the time. Uh, it was a little square box with a little square stick on it. You had one orange button on it. That was it. Uh, to play the games today, I talk about the games and my kids look at me like I'm crazy because they can't believe that we played those kinds of games. Back in those days, you could play outside until the street lights came on. Actually, for me, it was I would hear my mom yelling, and it didn't matter where I was in the neighborhood, she could yell, and we knew it was time to come inside. You didn't think too much about, um, you didn't think to yourself about the idea that, you know, maybe I should go out and play, and the reason was because Basically, you went out and you played. Mom and dad wanted you to go outside. They wanted you to be outside because they realized that being inside was not healthy for you all the time. And what happened was, um, where's Richard? Find my sermon for me. It just shut off on me and it just opened back up again. It's entitled The Good Old Days. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to talk to you while I'm trying to find, I thought, no, I'll just get him to do it for me. It's okay. Thank you very much. It's a bad feeling. That's why everybody prints their sermon too, and I should have done the same thing. So anyways, your parents didn't want you inside. They wanted you to go out and play. They wanted you to be able to go and do all those crazy things. So you didn't sit inside in front of the TV all day. Actually sitting in front of the TV wouldn't have been much fun for you anyways. Because TV, you only had, what, three channels? And even that, it was, it was a chore to watch TV. You know, we didn't have remote controls. That's what kids are for. You just tell them, get up and go change the channel. They go up and they turn some knob on the TV. And they had to, you only had, what, three, four channels? And, of course, you hoped you were in a good place because you also had an antenna. And you often had to adjust the antenna. And you hoped you had a good signal so you didn't have to stand there and hold it for the whole 30-minute show. Things have changed a little bit, haven't they? Things aren't the same that they used to be. But you know what? There is great value in some of the things of the past. I know I just kind of shared that almost as a negative. We didn't know what the internet was. We thought that was a fishing term. We weren't really sure what, what the things that we talk about. Now, a cell phone is a great example of it. Uh, the idea of a cell phone, we wouldn't have known what they were talking about. If someone said, hey, I got a new cell phone, you'd... What are you doing with that? Because we wouldn't have known what to do with it. They had pagers. You remember those? They were about the size of a loaf of bread. Uh, basically, if it, if it actually buzzed, it would actually cause your hip to break because it was shaking so hard. Uh, basically, it was a completely different world back then. But there were also some things that were great about that time. There was a sense of openness to the church, to the body of Christ. There was a sense of openness to the Word of God. In our culture today, perhaps it's because we've had so many things that have taken place, so many options for us, so many things that we can go out and do. The church has taken a back seat. Even the church itself has become stained with sin. 
we look at the world around us and often it's hard to draw the line between where the church begins and where the world begins because we've become much like the world around us. I was talking with someone this week and they were telling me about their experience in their church. They have a small group that meets and uh, it's not this church. I will say I'm not going to tell you which church it was. You can kind of picture a bunch of different ones and it's probably one of those, but I'm not going to tell you which one. They were in their small group this past week and as they were talking, one of the individuals in the small group said, you know, the most secular place I take my family is to church. He went on to describe some of the things that take place in the church, some of the ways that people dress, the activities that even take place on the platform and from the pulpit. He said, this is the most secular place that I take my family. Something is wrong in the body of Christ. We look at the past almost as if it is a negative thing. We talk about the good old days as being a time way back when. Maybe it's time for us to be reintroduced to the good old days. To be brought back to a time where the church actually stood apart from the rest of the world. To come back to a point where the people of God displayed and reflected the Spirit of God so that the rest of the world said, I want whatever they have. It is so important for us as the body of Christ to be a people who reflect the character of a holy God. All of this nostalgia, looking back at the good old days, it can be a good thing. But according to Ecclesiastes 7.10, he says, Do not say, why were the good old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. What is Solomon saying when he makes that statement? That it is not good to look back and to identify how good it used to be. What he is saying is the best days of the church and the best days of the body of Christ ought to be sitting in front of us. We ought to recognize that while the past is a great thing and there are great lessons to be learned and we should have been transformed and changed and affected by that past, God is not done working with his people. God desires to see the church become the way the church is supposed to be, which is a reflection of him. I've enjoyed reading lately regarding some of the greatest revivals to take place over the past century or so. They depict a very different time period, a different culture. Last month, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of this church, a church that was founded as a result of a camp meeting revival. It was a time of peace, a time of openness to the gospel, and a time of intimacy with Jesus Christ, a time where the body of Christ genuinely shared life together and not just on Sundays. This week I read in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and talks about the New Testament church and what the church was made up of. We are told not so much who the people were but what they did. Every time they came together they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching 
and to prayer, the breaking of bread. Somebody had need, they shared with one another to make sure that those needs were met. Does that still sound like the church of Jesus Christ? I know that it should, but does it really? As we look back, we see that way back when there were some things that were very present in the church and community. And I wonder, could it be possible for us to get back to those good old days? Now, before you answer that question with an emphatic no, I understand that there have been some things that have happened that have changed the dynamics of the church and our world. I, I remember some of those things. Some of them are even before my time. I still remember September 11th, 2001. I remember the, the image of a tower collapsing while people were running into the tower to rescue other people. I remember the response of the world around us as suddenly we didn't live in peace, but we lived in fear. I don't know that our world will ever go back to the way things were, but there are some things that I want back. There are some things that I believe if we could bring them back, the church could truly be what it's supposed to be again. Could the church hit the rewind button? Can we go back to a time where God is again the centerpiece of the Christian faith? Could we once again sense the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit like those of generations before us? And the answer is absolutely yes, but how do we get there? First thing we must do is we must remember. Revelation chapter 2, there is a series of letters that uh, John is recording. There are a series of letters to seven different churches. One of those churches is the church at Ephesus. And as he addresses them, he says in Revelation chapter 2 verse 5, he says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. There was a time that the church had been doing very well in Ephesus. Actually, there is a very strong uh, presence in Ephesus. We have the letter to the Ephesians. Both 1st and 2nd Timothy are written at a time when Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus, and here they are again. They started off so well. They had such a strong foundation. Everything was going great for them. They sensed the moving of God. People were being saved. There were lives that were being changed. There were people who were being healed. The Spirit of God was over everything that was taking place in Ephesus. But by the time Revelation chapter 2 is written, they are a church that has taken a downhill spiral and they didn't even realize it was happening. He says, consider how far you have fallen. It would be of great value for us to take a moment and just look back at where we once were. Don't let the story of Ephesus be what you focus on here for a moment, but think back to when you were new in the faith. Think back to that moment when you surrendered your heart to Christ and you said, Lord, I am yours. What has changed? Do you still have that same hunger, that eagerness to know God more, 
to allow him to be in charge of your life? Or is that something that has just kind of faded away over time? We're no longer all that hungry for God. When you first came to Christ, you knew that maybe you didn't have all the answers, but you knew that you had to spend time in God's Word. Remember that New Testament church? Every time they came together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is what we refer to as God's Word. It's what they were about. They wanted to know what God had to say. They wanted to know about Jesus Christ and the things that He had done. When was the last time you spent time in God's Word? They devoted themselves to prayer. When was the last time you spent time in prayer? I'm not talking about because it's lunchtime and you got to pray that, that simple prayer that we learned as we, when we were kids. Or because it's bedtime and you're just supposed to say that now I lay me down to sleep prayer. We are to have a continual spirit of prayer. Which means regardless of where we are, regardless of what's going on around us, we ought to be in prayer. Do you genuinely see yourself as being in a, in a conversation with God all the time? Because he's there. He said he would never leave you nor forsake you. And he'll keep that promise. So you can talk to him like that. Do we still have that eagerness to pray? We as the church need to take a moment and remember. We as individuals need to take a moment and remember. Do you want that passion to be renewed? Because I'll guarantee you, God desires to see that passion renewed. He actually tells them there in in Revelation 2.5, Repent and do the things you did at first. The term repent means that you are going one direction and you need to make a complete turnaround and go the other direction. Repent and go back and do the things you did that allowed you to experience the presence of God so real. I was reading this week in Isaiah chapter 29 and it says this, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. I wonder if perhaps one of the places where the church has gone wrong over the years is we became solely focused on keeping our list of do's and don'ts, keeping these rules that we've been taught not saying we shouldn't keep the Ten Commandments and we shouldn't live holy and righteous lives. I believe very clearly that we are called to live in such a way. However, I wonder if somewhere along the way we have lost the heart side of a relationship with God. We understand that intellectually we need to know. We need to know what God has for us. We need to know exactly what He expects of us. We also need a heart that is fixed on him. We need to be people who we hunger after him. What is the thing that excites you most? What is the thing that drives you? Is it genuinely a relationship with God or is it a relationship with the world around us? We are told that we must love the Lord our God, not just with our mind, (laughs) 
It's good to have that mind. It's good to, to be able to know him, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to be sure that we genuinely come to worship, not because we have to, not fulfilling some obligation, but genuinely because our hearts are being transformed. We must seek the Lord with all of our hearts, not just intellectually. Revelation 2.5 again says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What did we do? We prayed. We spent time in God's word. And we even focused on being a part of the body of Christ. This uh, actually has been a few weeks now. I've been reading uh, the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah are written about the same time. Uh, they actually uh, kind of build off of each other. It's a great study. I encourage you guys to read it. But one of the problems that plagued the people of Israel was at times they would be faithful to God and he would bless them. And they would walk in his blessing and they knew the spirit of God was with them. And then somewhere along the way, they would kind of let their guard down. And all of a sudden, this, this hunger would begin to die out. I guess they felt like they had fed on him enough, and they would just kind of go back to doing things the way they did before. And the problem was that typically, when they began to wander from what God desired for them, it carried consequences. One of those consequences is at some point, the temple is destroyed, the place where they would come to worship. I will say this, I don't believe that this building is in danger of falling to the ground, but I will say that there is a danger upon the church when we stop pursuing Christ, because although the building may stand, the church as us will begin to crumble when we no longer seek Christ first. Ezra chapter 3 the church or the temple is at the point where basically the people have realized there is a need to fix things. And we read this in Ezra 3, 11 through 13. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. At this point, the temple has basically been destroyed. There is a generation of people and they recognize what the church used to be like, what the temple was like before. It was beautiful. It was something to be honored, not because of the facility, not because of the building, but because the Spirit of God dwelt in that place. Can you imagine experiencing such beauty only to see the temple destroyed? Only to see, I'm going to put it in our terms, the church become just like the world around us. No different, no more experiencing the Spirit of God than anybody out there. How heartbreaking it must have been. And then the day comes 
where the church realizes we need the Spirit of God again. We need to rebuild because, man, if this church is ever going to be what it needs to be, we need to put Christ back in the center. We're told that the old, those who had seen it to begin with, they wept. Were they tears of sorrow thinking, oh, this will never be as good as what it used to be? Or were they tears of relief and joy? Oh, thank God. We are finally getting back to what we needed to begin with. They're tears of celebration. Maybe even tears of repentance. Lord, I'm so sorry that I allowed the church to become what it has been. Sorry that I didn't step up. Sorry that I didn't experience your presence personally so that the church could almost feed off of the Spirit of God even in me. They're so broken, but they are also filled with great joy. We're told that the young people praised the Lord and they shouted and they celebrated. Why? Because they couldn't keep quiet. To them, this was a new experience, but man, it was a good experience. Can you imagine the church today experiencing the move of God like they experienced in that moment. God moved in a mighty way, and I will assure you, if we will seek him again, he will move again in the exact same way. One last thing I'll challenge you with, and it is the call for us to refocus on him. 2 Timothy 4.8 talks of those who long for his appearing. And I ask you, do we still long for his appearing? I believe that when our hearts are back in line, when our minds are back in place, remember, if we seek the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we will put God in the middle of our hearts, in the middle of our soul, in the middle of our mind, and yes, even in our bodies, I believe that God will completely transform us and he will transform the church. My challenge to you is simply this. I know I went longer than what I was supposed to here, and I apologize for that. Because we're still going to do the baptism, so you're going to have to wait just for a few minutes. But my challenge for you is this. If you are content with the way the church is going, talking about the church as a whole, it's a dangerous statement. Leave. Because this church is not going to go down that path. We will seek the Lord. And we will, once again, rebuild the foundation. One that allows the Spirit of God to be in control in this place and in our hearts. And if you don't want to be a part of that, that's okay. But that's who we will be as a church. I want you to be a part of that. I believe that the best days of the church are not behind us. They're right in front of us. Will you allow the Spirit of God to work in and through you, and in so doing, allow the Spirit to move in this place as well? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we're so grateful for the salvation that you brought to us. Lord, we are imperfect people, and we know that. We serve a great and mighty God. Lord, you have been faithful to us. 
I pray right now that you would draw us unto you. Lord, I pray that the foundation that has been laid will once again be laid solid in front of us that we may be able to stand. The foundation of our church we see as the presence of a holy God. What makes this place special is not the building, it's not the location, it is the presence of a holy God. Lord, I pray that once again you would fill this place. But don't begin with the corporate. Lord, I pray that you would fill each individual in here with a hunger and a thirst for you. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way in us so that we can become the light to the world around us so that the rest of the world will hear the noise and they won't be able to tell if we're crying or we're shouting, but the noise will be heard all over for they will know that the Spirit of God is moving in this place. Have your way in us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.